0: Hello and welcome to the Hawkesbury Gazette's podcast for the edition of May 15. I'm Christina Pollard and I'm joined once again by my colleague Finn Coleman. How are you Finn? I'm good thanks, how are you? I'm fantastic. Well Saturday's the big day folks. For those who haven't voted yet, get to the polls from 8am to 6pm and vote for one of the five candidates standing standing, for the seat of Macquarie and of course for the many many candidates standing for election to the Senate. So ahead of Saturday's poll, we're talking to Liberal candidate for Macquarie, Sarah Richards, today. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Wonderful. Well, as we said last week, we are inundated on social media with questions from our readers, so we'll get straight into it for you, Sarah. Mm -hmm. So, firstly, a few people commented on our Facebook page that they hadn't seen you at local meetings in candidate type forums. Now, can you just clarify for us that you have been at the forums? Now, I believe I know that you've been at one at least one in Springwood and one in Windsor. So, can And
1: you, one in Katoomba. One
0: in Katoomba as well. Yes, okay. Yes. So, you've what do, how do you feel when people say things like that? Yeah,
1: I mean, you can't make everything because in an election period you do get other commitments locked in. And the fact that I've attended three shows that you know, I'm there, I'm addressing the community, I'm attending these groups and responding to these invitations. So uh, the first one I attended was the Windsor Business Group breakfast. We had a meet the candidates there. We had uh, four of the five candidates attend that one. Uh, The second one was the Chamber of Commerce uh, group at the Blue Mountains. All five candidates attended that one, and that was run really well and professionally. It was a good night. And the last one... um, Last week was a Tourism Meet the Candidates night up at Katoomba uh, run by the Blue Mountains Accommodation and Tourism Association and Susan and I were the only two who attended that one. I'm not sure about invites to others uh, but we attended that one and so that's been three. So Mm. definitely happy to be out there and um, responding to those invitations and, and attending them and I think it is important um, because you do get those questions from the floor like you're doing now and you have to answer them so people need to know that they're candidates well you can't know absolutely everything no one can that's impossible you just need to be able to present yourself and what you stand for and why you're running mm-hmm.
0: wonderful okay so let's talk locally and mm-hmm. a lot of these questions uh, our listeners would have heard put to susan templeman as well so people were asking both parties which i think is is very fair so let's face some of those questions so Simon asked about, uh, you know, the need to have another river crossing, both Liberal and Labor agree on that. Could you please explain your vision to best alleviate the traffic chaos at North Richmond and Richmond that commuters daily suffer with?
1: Well, I was very pleased to come out with the announcement of $200 million towards that third crossing of the Hawkesbury River. Now, there's been um, advocacy from both sides on that uh, for years, uh, intense ab- advocacy from the Liberals and. I've been a councillor, as you would know, for two and a half years. Where I was fortunate enough last year to make an announcement with the state treasurer uh, towards the funding for the business case for that third crossing. So I have been pushing that issue for a long time. Um, When I got the federal um, candidacy, I then could take that issue to um, the ministers and the government for federal funding because. The project is going to be project managed and built by the state government, as you all know, the Mm. RMS. Um, So they'll be doing that, but they didn't have enough funding to be able to for the whole project. Um, Hence why I put a um, proposition forward to many ministers and said we need that money for that crossing and to announce that $200 million locked into last, the budget just announced by the federal government, it's not an election commitment, it's locked into the budget um, was fantastic. So um, when you ask for my vision of where it's going to go,
0: which would be the next question yeah, right? yeah. everybody's lips, it yeah.
1: is and everyone who stops me in the street asks me where's the bridge going to go and I can't answer that because um, The one lesson we learned through the corridors process last year was to consult the community um, in these sorts of things and i know that governments aim to do that in everything they do but you know that was a significant um, issue where we said right we'll speak to the locals first so the rms is currently doing stakeholder engagement a lot of people have already met with rms representatives and given their vision so they what they think has a local where it should go now um, i doubt any of us here at bridge engineers so i can't go in this room so i can't go out and say hey it's going here hey it's going there because that involves um land acquisition and you can't just go and say i want to require this person's land and that's where it's going to go because that's where you get hysteria and confusion do we so, need a
0: one in 100 year bridge is that what you would the be aim is to of? be
1: flood resilient mm-hmm. i know there's various options of that with the rms i'm looking forward to there. i'm going to be having a briefing with them myself um, in June and so will a state member and I'm looking forward to seeing what options they have at that point and then what options we are going to put forward to the community um, but there is an investigation area that they're showing when they're doing stakeholder engagements which is around the current bridge like mm. there's an investigation area so as I said there's always sensitive issues with land acquisition and all that sort of thing so I'm not going to preempt any of that I'll wait till I have my briefing and then uh, we see what they come up with in terms of options.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm. So just onto the subject of PFAS contamination then, yeah. um, and particularly in light of the Richmond RAF issue, Jennifer asked, uh, what are you doing for the PFAS contamination victims in your area? <laughs> What are your federal policies going to be about the whole matter? Mm-hmm. Um, and Pete as well asks, will you fully support retired and serving RAF firefighters that were exposed to PFAS mm-hmm. and other known toxic chemicals during their service careers and are now being, he says, abandoned by the Department of Veteran Affairs? How would you respond to that? What's the yeah, there's
1: policy? a lot in that, mm-hmm. um, in that question, and that statement, Uh in my role as a counsellor, we've been uh, privy to having briefings um, by the people who are employed by the Department of Defence to do the certain investigations into PFAS in. Um, multiple bases, RAF bases or Air Force bases um, around Australia. Mm. Um, I know that Richmond is not one of the most significant ones in the country. I think William Town Williamstown. Williamstown. I think yeah, Oakey yeah, as well. Right. Um, and I used to live just outside Oakey actually when I was younger for a year while Dad uh, worked at the Oakey base. Mm. Um, so, but I do know that there's a lot of um, testing has been going on through our consultation, through our briefings with uh, those workers. Um, they've done a lot of testing on water, on the soil, and all those sorts of things. Um, on the sixteenth of April, they did operate a drop-in uh, public drop-in meeting for anyone who was concerned with that. Um, I think that was in Windsor. I think mm. it was. Um, so they do have a management area uh, area management plan for that. Um, they keep continuing continually briefing us as count, local councillors. If I was fortunate to be elected on Saturday into that role, I'd ask for a further briefing in terms of the you know because defense is a federal responsibility as to what that's going to entail and what they're going to do.
0: And would that look at it ask for a further briefing, would that perhaps include? testing of people who are a little bit worried about the fact that they're in that area?
1: Yeah, I don't know what the government is intending to do about testing people. I know that individuals have gone and got some testing done. Um, as I said, I know they've tested soil, water, animals, eggs. They've tested those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, if I was elected as the federal member, I'd definitely make that a priority to um, you know get up to speed with exactly where it all is and what they're intending to do moving forward for the Hawkesbury. Great.
0: Great. Now, the services for people with disabilities, and Sean has asked both major party candidates, um, how are either of your parties going to help people with disabilities through funding? And what about the disability, disability Employment Service, a review into how they run and work for the client inside of the DES provider?
1: Yeah, well, two issues there with the yeah, NDIS and the DES. Um, in terms of the DES, um, everybody wants to make sure that those with a disability have access to some level of employment. I mean, uh, not only does it benefit them financially, but their social skills, uh, social, sorry, ability to be out there, mm-hmm. um, networking with people, being a part of the community, not letting their disability get in the way mm-hmm. of those normal things that um, we can all do. So. Definitely would be a supporter of, um, of all of that and making sure that it was a viable system. In terms of the NDIS, I was very fortunate to have Minister Fletcher out here last week. Now, we held an NDIS roundtable with um, some parents. I've had a very strong advocate um, been pushing me uh, about the NDIS uh, because of her daughter. And she. Uh, I said to her, look, how about I get the minister out? Um, if you can grab some other uh, mothers or parents to come and join us. I did not want providers in that room only wanted parents or carers um and that was a very emotional hour Mm. um and hearing the
0: stories
1: (coughs) sorry hearing the stories and not just stories but that's their lives and um we didn't want that publicized though they're not publicity things they're Mm. done because they're genuine and when I walked the minister out to his car he said that was one of the most uh, difficult round tables he's ever conducted um, in terms of what he listened to. Um, he has then... He told me that he would get his staff to personally make contact with everyone there and get uh, look into the situations on why they weren't getting the equipment or the funding that they needed. And he's actually done that. And I have had those people come up to me and say, oh, my God, um, we've actually had the minister get in contact with us. They're looking at our plans. They're looking at our equipment needs. But uh, looking at the whole NDIS... Yes, it has to be more than a minister coming and listening to stories and then therefore acting. So um, over the next half uh, five years, a half a million Australians are anticipated to be on the NDIS. So the NDIA has to work. It yeah. absolutely has to work. Um, what do you
0: say to the people th- uh, who are talking <coughs> about the, the budget and the fact that it was using money from the NDIS to you know, boost other parts mm. of the budget? Have you had people talking to you oh, about that? I
1: have, but the NDIS is a demand-driven... Um, as, uh, aspect of the budget so while you can uh project what you're going to spend on it it actually comes down to what um people well, what they get for their plans at the end of the day so that 1.6 billion that labor was out there saying was cut from the ndis budget it was not cut from the ndi budget it's because that's what it actually came in it came in under the projection so therefore if you come in under the projection that money therefore goes um, to other things back into, and January, back into other stuff but what didn't get said through of all of that is from my understanding um, the hospital um, budget um, came in over projection so the government topped up that as to what it needed to be so that's what happens in budgets you make projections or estimates and then when the realities come in, just like when you run a small business you have projections or estimates moving forward the actuals become another thing and then you put money into other areas so it wasn't cut but it came in under what was allocated for it, so... Are you worried the then difference. that if, if, if you know, <coughs> as you
0: said, Australians are continuing to need the NDIS, there's going to be increasing numbers, mm-hmm. that you'll then need to dip into other money to, to help support
1: that? Well, the government's given a commitment that it will be fully funded, and I think that that is a bipartisan commitment, that both mm-hmm. parties are committed to ensuring that they get it right, and whether we are elected to government again on Saturday and Minister Fletcher continues in that role, um, I think he's doing a really good job. He's there saying, hey, there are parts we need to fix, but it's... Let's get our hands dirty and fix it. Um, or if Labor gets in um, after Saturday, you know, you're going to get a whole new minister and a whole new ministry and all that sort of thing. So I just hope that no matter what, it's, it's a priority. I know it is a priority under a, a coalition government, but um, I hope that Labor, if, if they get in, which, of course, I don't hope that happens <laughs> for our nation. Um, yeah, but I think it, it is a priority. No one's saying it's perfect, but everyone's committed to fixing it and making sure it works.
0: Let's go to Sydney 2nd Airport, um, mm-hmm. which has been a big, it's a big <coughs> issue, I think, in, in sort of the, the upper mountains area. Mm-hmm. Um, Janelle has asked that, um, and this is a, a reasonably long question, mm-hmm. recently released independent noise study for Western Sydney Airport revealed that aircraft noise levels will be significantly higher over Western Sydney and the Blue Mountains than the EIS predicts. The report also reveals that the altitude of aircraft over Western Sydney will be significantly more than the EIS indicates. Earth-moving works are currently taking place, obviously, on the side of the Western Sydney Airport at Badgeries Creek. Do you think all work should stop on Western Sydney Airport until the Federal Coalition Government and Federal Labor provide a satisfactory response to the independent noise study? Um, And then Linda additionally wants to know, what's your position on the airport? Mm -hmm. What will you do to stop it, obviously, if you're against it? And what will you do to stop 24-7 aircraft noise over the Blue Mountains and surrounding World Heritage areas?
1: Wow. So firstly, (laughs) I know, very long questions. So I guess, first
0: of all, let's address the first bit. So um, do you think that work should stop until both the Coalition and Labor provide a satisfactory response to the independent noise study?
1: I haven't in that question um, it doesn't reference which study it is so I am not privy to have been, I have read that um, study or that information so it's mm-hmm. a little hard to say what their levels are compared to what the previous um, reports have been so that is difficult um, to answer the main part of that question though um, yes I do support um, the Western Sydney Airport and I think that I've said that multiple times on the record um, I certainly support the government's uh, position on that uh, I believe that it there are so many benefits to that airport, but I'm also very aware that there are community concerns. So um, what I've said moving forward is that that airport is going to bring um, so many jobs to our area and it's not just the airport itself, it's what's around it. And um, I've been to <clears throat> um, workshops where they've shown the um, the, the Trade Centre, the International Trade Centre coming to um, the Western Sydney Airport, to educational precincts, to Um, other big companies wanting to come in that area, it's going to be a a massive jobs precinct. And through the Greater Sydney Commission that has um, basically put Sydney into three parts, we are the Western Parkland City, Um, the aim for that is to have a 30-minute city. And so the amount of jobs... Um, that will be within that 30-minute time frame for the Blue Mountains and Hawkesbury part of Macquarie um, will definitely be a benefit. And Uh, a 30-minute
0: city, I think, that we just need to explain is somewhere where (coughs) you can get from your home to your job mm -hmm. within 30 minutes.
1: Correct. So 30 minutes from home to work. So less time on the roads, more times with your families, And what that means also, obviously, not just an investment in the airport, but the infrastructure surrounding it, so road and rail, and uh, which is public transport. Um, The government has said that they want to make sure that infrastructure is put in place first. Um, And I was very proud to be with the Prime Minister uh, when we made an announcement jointly with the state government, each putting in $3.5 billion towards a $7 billion um, North-South rail link. Now, that rail link also came because of the advocacy of the eight councils in a city deal. So there are so many different things going on, all because of the Western Sydney Airport, uh where the federal government and the state government has said uh the city deal was a second I think the townswell was the first one done and the Western Sydney City Deal um says right, the councils actually need to have a say in this as well. They're the ones grassroots who knows what's going on in their community. Um, <coughs> sorry about my cough. And both the blue mountains and hawkesbury i know the hawkesbury council got i think it was about 18 million and mm. the blue mountains was roughly the same out of that and hawkesbury council has prioritized um revitalizing three town centers in our area so and i think
0: hawkesbury council actually kicked in a fair bit of money themselves as well
1: i th- think they may have mm. but um i were waiting to hear back from the town center revitalization committee mm. as well um we just had a public input as well um, as to what that's going to involve but it's the town centres of Richmond, Windsor and South Windsor. Um, So as you can see, again, that's come all because of the airport coming. So um, they're the benefits there. But again, on the other side, listening to the concerns of residents, I've had a lot of residents um, come and meet with me one-on-one about the airport and their concerns. What are their main concerns? Is it the (coughs) 24-7 noise that everyone's talking about, the flight paths? Yeah, flight paths, noise, um, the fact that they've moved to the mountains for certain reasons and didn't anticipate an airport coming, and I understand those concerns. Um, It's not slated that flight paths will be put on the table till 2024. Mm. So in that time um, there is a community consultation group that will talk to residents and I would love to be part of that whether I'm elected or not um, about whether it's best to put those flight paths. Now I know that uh, going over the Blue Mountains is not a popular choice so let's use this time until then to get it right.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's talk small business. Mm. David has asked, as a small business owner, I'd like to see wage (coughs) subsidy for apprentices in their first and second year to make it possible to employ and train, not just in regional areas and not just in skill shortage. This needs to be done across the board and needs to be aimed at businesses employing less than 10 employees so it actually helps the small businesses that need the assistance to employ and train young Australians into trades. If this isn't done, we won't have su- sufficient trade services into the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Which
0: party will be able to ensure that the people of Australia will have access to the trades people they'll rely on in the future?
1: <clears throat> trades and having people skilled in trades is important. Huge. and. um As you may be aware, we have a huge amount of tradies um, here in the Hawkesbury, Um, also in the Blue Mountains. But the Hawkesbury specifically has um, a huge amount, a number of tradies. So to make sure that when they leave school, they're getting the proper access to um, education, and also yes, having the apprenticeships available. Um, I understand the question there because we are giving incentives to employers. Um, There was a policy announcement a few weeks ago about rural and regional areas and encouraging Mm -hmm. um, tradesmen there, but. I absolutely see the point of making seeing if we can make that that money stretch to also cover um, areas like here, which we are, and we say it amongst other things, we're on that cusp. Are we regional? Are we rural? Are we on the fringe of the city? So, uh, But it's definitely important, especially with the amount of construction that will be going on across Sydney, so we do have our tradies here. So, yeah, if I was elected, I'd love to have that conversation further with the government um, to see if we can expand that. And particularly to the small businesses, I think, too, because these are the businesses yeah. that are going to be bringing the tradies through.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you're going to have a, a few, you know, a chippy down the road or mm. who needs to take on an apprentice or yeah. something like that. So, you know, is, is that possible to look at that then?
1: Well, yes. It's not only with incentives to employers, but look at what the um, Liberal or the Coalition government has done so far for small business. Now, that's cutting that tax rate from 30% down to 27 and a half. Therefore, that's more pocket money in the pocket of the small business owner, they can do other things with that money, such as employ more people, buy new equipment or um, anything that they need to do <clears throat> on top of that. Uh, the commitment moving forward is to reduce that tax um, business tax to 25%. So that's further money. Um, in the pockets of small business owners. And also having the instant asset write-off up to $30,000 now and also um, being unlimited. That gives small business owners more money and hopefully that can therefore invest in more jobs for more tradies, more apprentices, and therefore getting more people skilled in those areas.
0: I was going to say, and then we have access then to more tradies that we we absolutely need. Correct. So still (laughs) on the issue of local businesses, Mm. Kate has asked to both candidates, what plans, if any, does your party have to support a heritage economy in the Hawkesbury? Noting research shows well-managed heritage precincts outperform comparable precincts in both business and real estate terms, and Mm. heritage tourists stay longer and outspend any other tourist category. Consistent with this, will your party also support the protection of the Hawkesbury's unparalleled natural landscapes from extra active industry? (coughs) Sorry, extra active. From extractive? Extractive industry. Although
1: they could be extra
0: active as well. We We don't know. (laughs) Maybe. I'm
1: assuming that means sand mining. That's what I would assume that means. Uh, There was a motion put to Hawkesbury Council a matter of weeks ago about that and, and every councillor voted that they didn't want that so mm. the argument running that uh, the new bridge is all about sand mining when you've got councillors now saying guess what mm. it's not um, is where we need to stop in our community having those um, arguments of hysteria going out there when there's just no um, truth to the matter so that's been done, and that's been publicly voted on. So mm. that's that's out there on the public record. And what about the heritage <clears throat> economy then? Heritage economy is an interesting one. Now, I when I, I I thought that's an interesting concept. And when I was at a tourism uh, committee, a uh, tourism um, uh, conference, mm. um, I heard a Labor state shadow minister—I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. Actually, talk about a twilight economy, and I'm thinking. Where are we getting all these names of different economies? Because shouldn't we just be looking at tourism as as one big whole, but also understanding there's obviously elements in that, mm. but, but are they really all addition page. economies or are they just one big and, uh, economy? And as people may know, I've sat on um, Dominic Perrottet's $3 million dollar mm. Um, Tourism board, which was about the visitor economy, which is what we're aiming for, and it's not just a day visitor, it's aiming for an overnight visitor. And if the heritage aspects that we have within um, the Hawkesbury, which uh, what were we, is it the third settlement we were Mm. of Australia um, or something similar to that, they are important. And I, it does frustrate me when people say you don't support heritage or the value of heritage because, of course. I do, and of course the Liberal Party does, but we also balance that with the need for brand new infrastructure. So um, I don't know if we specifically need a heritage economy. Again, the facts stated in that question, you've just stated, I haven't seen that in writing as being um, something and where it's come from. But tourism is important for this area, and I not just have a focus on the Hawkesbury, but of course the Blue Mountains. And uh, when we did our tourism, meet the candidates the other night and we spoke about the priority of having why you know I think the the three sisters are one of the top five International visitor destinations Mm. in Australia. So Macquarie is very lucky to have the Hawkesbury Mm. uh, with its heritage and the beautiful natural aspects of the Blue Mountains as well, tying that back into the airport, you know, sort of at the feet of both the Hawkesbury and the Blue Mountains there for international and domestic visitors. Um, So I think we need to look at it as just the tourism economy and make sure it's our priority. And
0: the strategy surrounding (laughs) people, not only attracting people to Mm. come here but getting them to stay. Overnight, as I said. The
1: overnight visitation is... Um, important because then that means they're having dinner somewhere else. They're having breakfast at a cafe. They've um, gone into the shops to buy whatever else they need overnight. And speaking to some of the big tourism operators up in the mountains, um, eighty percent of their market is domestic. So that just shows you that you can't relying on international tourism is not the be all and end all. Because if eighty percent of their market is domestic, we need to convert those domestic people into overnight stays, Mm. wanting to spend the weekend in the Blue Mountains or the Hawkesbury, not just the day. just the day, So, yeah, yeah, that's important. Well, Finn has a couple of questions. Um,
2: So, um, climate change, refugees and equality are all major issues for the younger people and young voters in um, this year's election. How important are these issues to you?
1: They're always important, and I think they're important to all age groups um, and not just young people. Um, Just to touch on the young people a bit for a minute... uh, Young people aren't just always associating themselves with those issues. I've actually had multiple young people contact me through Facebook wanting to help out on my campaign, believing in what the Liberal Party stands for, what the Liberal Party wants to put forward. Um, I've had a young girl who's followed me around in school holidays and after school, but she wanted some work experience, which I essentially said, well, um, my diary's jam-packed, jump in the car and, and let's go around, and she's enjoyed that significantly. Um, I had another young guy contact me through Facebook, and he's helping out on pre-polls. So, um, but their priorities as well, and this young guy wants to go into economics later. So, his focus as a young person, he's 17, isn't just those issues yeah. you touched on. It's also making sure we have a strong economy and that there's uh, money there to make invest back into infrastructure yeah. projects or community projects. Um, but yes, the environment is a priority. Um, It is a priority for the government. The government's invested $3.5 billion in a climate solutions package. in addition to that, I was with the Environment Minister Melissa Price and our candidate for Lindsay Melissa McIntosh, where we did an announcement a few weeks ago, where every electorate in Australia will be able to access $150,000 each. Well, community groups, grassroots groups, can put in for grants up to $150,000 as in that group um, for grassroots environmental projects. That they say, hey, there's an issue here on the riverbank. You know, we need to do some more tree planting. We need $5,000. They can put in for that grant. Um, so it is a priority, the environment. Yeah. Um, it's to For people to say that the Liberal Party isn't making that a priority um, is fundamentally wrong. Um, we are looking into renewables. Um, obviously, we have um, those sorts of targets as well uh, to make sure that um, there's renewable energy um, around as well. But we also need to make sure that we have access to energy uh, that is reliable and affordable. And as the Liberal Party stands moving forward that... Any targets aren't going to hurt the hip pocket of Australian families. They're going to be done um, in a way that families will be able to still afford to pay their electricity bills, and also make sure that it's reliable. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> what, what sort of things, with uh, specifically to the Macquarie electorates do you see happening in the, if, if the Liberal government is re-elected? The bridge? Uh, the, the, she, oh, no, <laughs> oh, do I mean, you I mean within climate change and like within that sort of um, <laughs> energy-wise and? That, that, that sort of work. Well, as I said,
1: that package that we announced where each electorate gets $150,000 um, was a yeah. really big key thing. So if I'm elected, I can then go out to our local environmental groups and say, hey, there's this money now available, um, let us know what's a priority here in Macquarie. That's what that sort of environmental announcement was for. Um, and then they can let let us know about that.
2: Um, and just back to the young vote, um, you, you mentioned like, okay, they're not only in those small, those issues that I mentioned, Mm. that they've just been proven to be the ones that most across Australia, most young people are interested in. There's been studies that are vocal about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As I say, I'm meeting other young people with other um, priorities. I I, I
2: understand that. Um, <clears throat> I was just saying, how important do you feel the young vote is going to be in this upcoming election? It's very important. Yeah. I
1: mean, I'm meeting people at pre-pol every day who are saying this is my first vote. I just turned 18. this is my, you know, a few months ago, this is my first vote. <laughs> um, and allowing them to have a voice is part of our democracy. And But, you know, what's also important is the older vote as well. Yeah. And the, um, the taxes that the Labor Party are trying to bring in um, that will hurt people who have um, spent their life saving under a certain, you know, set of legislation... Um, for their retirement. And so that older vote is going to be extremely important as well. But so is the younger vote and, and the future that they see for Australia. Absolutely.
0: Right. Uh, well, Mary, Mary's asked two questions sort of along those lines as well. The first is about electric vehicles. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, that, that's been a, a big issue between the, the two major parties just recently. So mm. what plans does the Liberal Party had to incentivise the electric car industry both for purchase of electric vehicles and to reinvigorate the vehicle manufacturing industry to build electric cars.
1: Well, as the Prime Minister said the other day, we're not going to tell people what sort of a car they have to drive. I think the Labor Party's target, and forgive me if I'm wrong on their policies, is 50% electric vehicles by 2030. Is that... I think that's right. Yeah. I have to. It was, be it was really about crazy about crazy the same, wasn't the the target
0: was about the same between the two parties?
1: Yeah, but I think that... Um, as, as the prime minister said, we can't tell people what they're they're going to drive, but um, we're certainly not going to discourage it as well. But I think it has to be implemented properly. Um, looking at what it does take to charge a car, and if you're making say a trip from here to the Gold Coast, how many stoppages is that going to be with charging? So again, I'm no expert on electric vehicle technology, way out of my uh, <laughs> knowledge area there. Um, but would you would you would a liberal government look at it providing incentives?
0: to well, encourage this industry I
1: think that that um, again I'd have to, if I'm elected that's something that we have to talk about but I don't see anything wrong in that but I, they're, they're very they are expensive electric vehicles let's be honest you know they're um, surely the
0: more people buy them the more that they've come down. yeah
1: but there's no as you the second part of your question there's no manufacturing of them at this point in time in Australia so um, do we make cars? at all in Australia anymore. I, know. I don't know whether that, we actually make yeah, at that all. broader manufacturing um, issue is important for um, mm. what, whoever the government is moving forward because, again, that's about building more jobs in jobs. Australia. So um, all those sorts of things are important and we do want to keep jobs here and, and not see them all going mm. offshore.
0: The second part of Mary's question actually has to do with asylum seekers. <clears throat> what guarantees can you give that if in government you'll uphold international law with regard to people seeking asylum and ensure observance of basic human rights are adhered to.
1: I don't think the government has ever breached its international obligations. I would love to see if that's the, where she's coming from there. But, I mean, the government has um, meets its targets in terms of its refugee intake um, every year. And I think we have to be very um, sensitive on that issue as well because... Uh, under the last Labor government, there were over fifty thousand um, arrivals illegally by boat, and the government has spent the last two terms of its government processing those arrivals. And uh, since they've been there, they've been able to secure those borders and stop that um, smuggler um, industry from happening. And that's that's the number one you know priority is is keeping people uh, the smugglers out of a business, stopping the deaths at sea. And uh, people coming here properly through the refugee humanitarian program, um, and also that goes hand in hand with ensuring that the people who we are bringing into Australia um, are genuine refugees, not supporting a people smuggling trade um, in the process. So um, the government has its targets; it meets those targets, and I think that securing the borders is goes in, hand in hand with that, ensuring that it's done properly.
0: Um, Alan wants to know. When are we going to get serious about corruption at the federal political level and set up an independent body to investigate corrupt political behaviour?
1: Yes, I would actually have to chat about where that's going if we were um, if we were elected back into government. But I certainly believe that any elected person should be operating with transparency. Um, when you're in that role and if we do get into government I'm happy to take that one on board and um, you know make it a priority for myself in terms of sorting out what we're going to do but I do believe that as I said every elected person should be open and honest in their their dealings and you know the fact that we have to disclose where our funding comes from in campaigns and all that sort of thing I think goes hand in hand with making sure that we do that.
0: I think that's that's a pretty plain answer
1: for Alan Mm -hmm. then.
0: Uh, Mark asks, what's the position of both candidates on the impact of cutting the take-home pay of low-paid workers through the current government's attack on penalty rates?
1: I don't think there's been an attack. (laughs) And let's not forget that the Fair Work Commission who sets those penalty rates was established by Bill Shorten. So there's an independent body there for a reason, to take those um, decisions out of the hands of the government. We have an independent body Dealing with that, who was established by Labor, and that's where it needs to stay with that body.
0: So you're pretty happy with how the system's now? I'm pretty, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's working fine. They're doing what they need to do, and that's the role that they've been tasked with. Mm-hmm.
0: Chris has asked, a lot of issues plaguing our electorate estate issues. He says, underfunded hospitals, completely inadequate evacuation routes, let alone the nightmare that is traffic through the region. So my question is, how are you going to fix... Sorry, is how are you going to work with what he calls a hostile and complacent state government, especially in our safe state seat, to get these issues fixed? What do you... I mean, as as obviously from the same Mm -hmm. uh, political colours...
1: Yes, I'll say my two choices of word wouldn't be hostile or complacent. I think that the Berejiklian government has been... Significant in its investment in New South Wales. And if we look back to those 16 years of state Labour government where there was nothing done for our state, um, the Liberals um, have had to basically build up. From the ground level up, in terms of getting uh, projects done uh, across the state, including the the metro rail that's about to open, um, you know, just outside of the Hawkesbury. Like yeah, I'm not sure the exact date, but I know it's in May. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are fantastic things that the state government has prioritised um, and done, and there hasn't been complacency in the Hawkesbury. We had the three million dollars towards the tourism um, <clears throat> advocacy to set that up for the Hawkesbury. We've had an investment in a. Um, inclusive playground. We've had an investment in a PCYC establishing itself here in the Hawkesbury. Um, in terms of the third crossing, not only has the federal government oh there was 25 million dollars towards that announcement mm. in the last state budget, yes. which was the business case and intersection improvements. Yes. We've then had the 200 million dollars come from the federal government towards that third crossing, which is also an additional 50 from the state government. Now, I don't know if that's also Quite well known out there. But that's another $50 million. And we can't always talk about the Hawkesbury. We've got the Blue Mountains in Macquarie. I know you're the Hawkesbury Gazette. And I know your focus is on that side of the electorate. But um, I, I... a $50 million investment there by the state um, on top of the 200, I don't think that's complacency at all. That's saying, hey, we have, back to the issues raised there, we have a traffic problem. And no-one's going to sit here and say that we don't. I mean, I'm stuck I don't in think it I daily. I've ever yeah. to, <laughs> to anybody
0: who has said we that's don't have right. a traffic problem. That's right. We're yet. stuck
1: in it daily. And when you look at Macquarie as a whole electorate, we have not only the Bells line of road, but the Great Western Highway, the most two significant highways mm-hmm. to the west of the state in our electorate. So that bridge is not only going to benefit the Hawkesbury side, but also the Blue Mountain side. And the state government is not being complacent about addressing that issue at all. Not when you're really looking at those numbers of funding. And obviously
0: well. you would be willing to approach Robert... <coughs> Robin Preston.
1: Absolutely I work well with Robin I'm extremely um, proud that she was elected as our state member I know she's going to do a really good job and yes I work very very well with her we'll text each other at midnight if need be um, saying hey you know she'll say hey I've had um, someone approach me more your domain and vice versa and I'll say look you know we need need to work on this one together so uh, moving forward if I was elected um, as the federal representative yeah I I have a fantastic um, relationship with the state member.
0: Uh, Well, just on traffic, actually. Mm. Sean and Greg combined to bring up a good point. Sean asked, when will Richmond and Blacktown Road be two lanes all the way through to Blow Park? Mm. The traffic congestion caused by bottlenecks at peak hour is atrocious. Mm -hmm. So much time spent just trying to go to and from work but stuck in traffic, it impacts on my time at home with my family, which I think we were talking about before. We did. Well, Greg said, yes, it's a state road, but the $200 million for the third crossing is federally funded. Mm -hmm. So why can't the federal government get involved because Richmond Road is an important piece of infrastructure... Especially if they're serious about fixing choke points, so what could you do federally yeah. to help this situation? Again, it? it's I don't think it's a black spot funding issue, is it? No,
1: it's just funding for uh, projects important, yes, correct? And, sure. and again, it comes back to the similar to the bridge, uh, where the state does. Um, Project manage the the um the build, but the, f- the feds can help with, mm-hmm. with that funding situation. Um, I met with a local resident, Paul Vigel, actually just a couple of days ago, who lives at Windsor Downs, because uh about the same issue about duplicating that road, making it safer, and yeah, it's on a lot of people's radar, and I've had feedback on my Facebook page in that regard. So if I was elected, I, you know, they've lobbied me, they they've said this is a priority, and again, if that's uh and I as someone who drives on that road, yeah. I'd put the case to the, to the treasurer. Would you look at it in the first term? <clears throat> I'd be happy to look at it in the first term mm-hmm. and put that forward, um, as I did yeah, with the funding for the third crossing.
0: Okay. Ros has asked a long question, and we asked this one of Susan Templeman as well, so just bear with me for a sure. minute. She said, When people think of PTSD, they often jump straight to the thought of ex-service people, but mm-hmm. domestic and family violence is also a major cause of homelessness and a key component of many people's struggles with PTSD. It reduces an entire family's capacity to participate in their own schooling and working life each and every day. Not hundreds, but thousands of women in the Hawkesbury are dealing with the silent burden of this highly gendered problem, a burden they never asked for and never deserved. Still, a woman a week dies, children are made to carry trauma they should not have to, and the systemic structures that allow it to continue never change. Police fail us daily, courts too. Even five years after finally being able to divorce my abuser, I struggle with PTSD and financial disadvantage because of the wake of destruction left by a DV offender. My children have been forced to pay the price for an offender who not only walks free, but can control where we even live. Children are court-ordered to visit their abusers. In what other area of law is this okay? Okay. So what's being done in the Hawkesbury and nationally to help survivors of domestic violence reach safety and rebuild their lives? I think a very important issue uh, in today's society. Huge issue and
1: one that I just hope in the future through prevention strategies we can start to minimise Mm. because it affects people more than I think people would realise, even people who don't speak up and have had um, those situations in their lives. A ripple effect. It's a ripple effect, yeah. It's not just, um, you know, the individual who's concerned, but, yes, it's the children, it's the family, it's the friends. And But touching on the first part, um, because she touches on two significant issues mm. there, domestic violence and also the PTSD um, being more than just military. Um, but in tackling family violence, the government did announce um, $840 million to... Um, into that area to accelerate further into grassroots um, community organisations being able to access that funding because, uh, you know, we've got the Women's Cottage here um, in, in Richmond and I've met with them and said, look, let me get back to you about how that announcement, how that money then trickles down. To mm. where it's needed. Have so, they have they received some of that funding yet, or is it still under? Know, yeah, okay. I don't know. But I have given her uh, Marie that commitment that I will look mm. into how that does get to where it is needed, sure. um, which is extremely important. And I know that on the issue of domestic violence, there's always pretty much bipartisan support. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's it's not a political issue mm. and I don't think it should ever be made a political issue. Um, the one about PTSD, yeah, it does affect more than just military personnel. Um, I met with um, a lady yesterday who was a local PTSD advocate. Um, I'm not sure. I'm just thinking, should I say her name? I'm thinking, you know what, I won't because it's I haven't um, got authorization for that. But she's certainly well known. And I have um, someone very, very close to me um, suffering pdsd um, through military service um, mm-hmm. after fighting in a lot of our most recent conflicts and so i see firsthand how pdsd does affect someone in the military but of course as i met uh, one-on-one with this uh, PTSD advocate yesterday even on her whiteboard it's not just military and she actually listed when i walked in and sat down she had on her whiteboard listed all the different things which is family violence or as a traumatic mm-hmm. um, i think first respondent was actually one of the top categories she had on there. So you're
0: talking sort of ambulances and police mm. ambulance and, mm. yeah. and all
1: that sort of yeah. things. And those sort of unanticipated mm. um traumatic events that would would pop up and have mm. devastating effects. So um but in terms of the PDSD um that touches then on obviously veterans and that's a huge issue for me again being growing up with a military father and I've lived on the RAF base and um certainly uh, been approached by a lot of veterans um, through my candidacy um, this time around. Uh, met with a veteran on the weekend who's um, done a program to try and make the whole DVA process um, simpler and the federal government had announced during this campaign as part of their veteran um, policy was the creation of six well um, well these well-being centers so they'll build these centers where veterans can actually go in and just say hey this is my issue um, whether it's financial whether it's complications with DBA whether it's family problems um, substance problems whatever it may be and it's, it's basically like a drop-in center to, to get assistance in whatever it may be and as I said, because I know firsthand um, how PTSD affects people, it's a huge priority. So again, not just veterans, but... I was uh, going to so say, how does that translate
0: all... to, to DV victims uh, <clears throat> accessing PTSD services? Would that fall under the funding that well, provided for the DV? Well, I would hope, D- yeah, that it would DV. fall under that
1: funding because, again, when it gets down to those grassroots organisations, they're providing that counselling, mm-hmm. they're providing those um, services. So, yeah, I would hope it would go down in that... Uh, sense. I was also, we also announced um, a couple of days ago, I think I put it on Facebook yesterday, <coughs> a $19.5 million Western Sydney community health uh, package, which is um, $14.5 million is to build, uh, which would go directly to the PHN, which is the primary health network um, that looks after the and Blue Mountains area, including um, the Hawkesbury. And uh, $14.5 half would go towards, building, uh, towards a centre in Located in Penrith, but $5.5 million of that is specifically for the Hawkesbury to have outreach workers for adult mental health, not just the youth mental health with Headspace, which is also for um, drug and alcohol and substance problems like that. That's $5.5 million. That's We need those outreach workers because a lot of the time... People can't just say, well, I'm going to go and become an inpatient somewhere. That doesn't suit your family circumstances, especially if you've got kids. And I think um, especially
0: out here where we do have to travel
1: for a lot correct. of Correct. Correct. So these services will come um, to mm. where it's needed here in the Hawkesbury, and that's a fantastic announcement for mental health and um, drug and alcohol mm. substance abuse mm. for the Hawkesbury.
2: Well will to my next one with what was um, Mental Health in the Hawkesbury. So You, have the, you, have, you also placed the $1.5 for the Katoomba head Headspace, which is great. We did. That um, was very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, also, so just before you mentioned the state's plans for the PCYC mm. um, and some other uh, some of the talks we've discussed today will affect young people's futures. Mm. But just to be more specifically, what, what do you plan to do for youth and young people in the Hawkesbury and the Macquarie electorate like directly in the in the near future to affect them if we can
1: yeah absolutely well i will just touch very quickly on the fact that we've made that headspace announcement Mm. so we did need uh, access to a headspace in macquarie um in the electorate and i'd had those discussions with the um ceo of the phn um pushing for that so um very very happy with that announcement um for youth there but if you're looking you know the blue mountains has good public transport it's got a train line that runs right through its center so it's pretty good Mm. but let's you know call a spade a spade the Hawkesbury needs some better public um, transport and especially that that affects our youth because um, you don't want youth driving you know there's a lot of outlying suburbs you don't want them driving around if they're going to a party or going out you know on weekends you want them to have safe options to get home so with the newly elected state member if I'm elected as well I'd like to make um, getting better public transport um, out here for our youth um, as well. Um, look, in terms of educational possibilities out here, we have a, we have a great university. Mm. Um, you know, we've got great schools and things like that. We've got a new high school opening up on the university site as well. Um, I think that's been put back a year, but that's that, you know, all that plan's still going forward. So, um, there are great things for our youth out here. The PCYC, like you just said, um, we the the council is in negotiations with them right now about locations and whenever that's sorted out you know that will be made public yeah, I was as say, well. how,
0: where, where is that now just for the <coughs> people who'd like to know yeah
1: to. there's still options on the table where they're looking at what's going to be sure. the best outcome for that mm-hmm. um and of course getting best value for money um mm-hmm. with what was put forward uh, making sure that they can build it and have the services um, as soon as possible. So that will mm. that will come. That probably is going to come to council sooner than later. Right. Um, uh, all of that, which will be made public mm. then. But look, there's there's stuff out there for yeah. the youth of the area, and um, as I just said, in all of that. So, but if I was elected again, chatting with the state member, getting some other yeah. stuff done for That's public transport easy. as mm-hmm.
0: well. Well, we uh, we touched on this before, <coughs> and, and I know that you were saying that it's it's a, the coalition is concerned about providing um, reliable and affordable electricity. Mm. David um, wants to know, what will your party do to guarantee reliable electricity supply at the cheapest possible price to industry and other consumers? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Peter asked, when are we going to put some wind farms in the Blue Mountains?
1: (laughs) That's very specific. And again, um, probably not my forte on the chances of wind of the ability to put wind farms um, in the Blue Mountains. So I think we'll just put that one aside for a little bit. I don't think that's on anyone's radar. Uh, But affordable and reliable um, is the key. And... Uh, We had an event last night, just a small event here in the Hawkesbury um, with the Assistant Treasurer, Stuart Robert, and uh, we had that similar question asked and he said right now the government is um, technology agnostic. I think I said that earlier today Mm -hmm. as well where we're not going to be forcing certain targets on people right now because covering that base need for power, uh, I think there was sixteen coal-fired power stations, I'm not getting into a debate about all of that, but right now it's ensuring that people can still turn their lights on when they get home, but also prioritising the fact that, yeah, we we will we are looking into renewables and the government is investing in renewables. Um, and the fact that there's that narrative out there that the Liberal Party doesn't think that that's a priority or invest in that um, is silly, but to me it's about making sure that families can afford their, their energy bills and... Um, There's the the big stick legislation that the the Liberals want to take to those companies um, to say, hey, you know, we need to make sure that those prices are as competitive as they can be. Um, There's a policy out there right now, when I had Angus Taylor here, the Minister for Energy, um, where medium-sized businesses could go through... The, I think it's the Business Council of Australia. I'll just double-check on that, but I think it is. And they could say, hey, I'm having issues with my electricity bills. And they would come in, funded by the federal government, and say, look, let's look at your energy usage, which company is going to be best for you. So the government is investing in strategies. Um,
0: is know, it difficult, though, to... I mean, you know, you brought up the fact that there is this perception out there that the, the Liberal Party is somehow against... Um, but you know encouraging the renewable sector mm. um, what what do you say to people to, to try and counteract that then it's, it's, it's all very well saying oh well, that's that's not true but how do you then argue against that yeah.
1: well there's record investment in renewable energy um, generation with 25 billion dollars slated to occur over the next few years so there's currently 2.1 million households in Australia with solar power so if with those you know, numbers and those statistics, you can't say that it's not important to the coalition because they're out there and they're investing in that. It's, mm. it's there in black and white. It's
0: getting that message across. It's, I guess.
1: it's a, it's a um, convenient argument, I think, for the opposing parties to, to say that they're not, and I think it, it helps where they want to go as a party, but it's certainly not it's, it's not the entire truth. Mm-hmm. And
0: so we're actually up to our our last question now. June has asked, to to both candidates, (coughs) why do the elderly after being assessed for their My Aged Care packages Mm. have to wait over 12 months to receive their packages? Some elderly have passed while waiting for their package. And then she also added, in this district, we have 3,000 First Nation peoples who want the answer to the request, which was made after the conference held in 2017, known as the Heart of the Nation Uluru, held at Uluru. The request was for recognition in the Australian Constitution for all First Nation peoples. The Prime Minister of the time, after attending the conference, stated it was too hard of a question at that time. Thank you with respect, Auntie June. Thank you. So there's two there's two different questions in that. <coughs> I think yeah. the first of all is the my age care packages. The
1: my age care and if there is a wait um, which she's indicated twelve months to coming through I would actually like to contact her and say, if you can give me specific examples of those people, let's get them straight to the minister now. It's very hard to be given a time frame like that. Um, I would prefer to see who they are why there's a delay in that and then take it straight to the minister and I mean that is the the beauty of being a community advocate like this or um, stepping up into a role where you're a candidate you can get that direct access to the minister so I would not that other people shouldn't be able to but you become that go-to person for them so yeah I'd have to I'd contact her and say hey can you give me their details and let's look into why specific person has so that you, a 12-month delay. yeah to take that I would take that off. on absolutely yeah. um, I don't You know, or know that there's a 12 month wait across the board. So, if she's uh, encountered someone who's had that problem, let's chat and and work that way. And then, what
0: about the recognition for in the Australian constitution for First Nations peoples? Mm. I know that this has been around, it's it's recognised for years,
1: going on for a very, very, very Mm. long time. I actually had a chat to an individual this morning about that, and uh, I know that there's nothing on the table right now because as anybody knows to change the constitution you need to do a referendum Mm. Um, and i don't think there's the um, discussion going on right now at a national level to have that referendum so in moving forward all i would say is i would consult with as many people as i possibly could um, when I had my discussion with um, an individual this morning from that community and I uh, posed that question and I said, what would you think would be an ideal way if that was moving forward? Um, but they weren't quite sure how mm. it would satisfy them. So I think as a nation, we'd have to have that topic if we were going to really put it out there to a referendum, mm. because... Um, putting a refer- as you know um, as we had with previous referendums before it's not just asking a question it's also saying yes. this is the example that we want that you're voting on this is exactly what it would look like whether it's a preamble whether it's an actual um, section of the constitution and then and then how a
0: referendum ref- referendum works the majority of people in the majority of There's states so many as well. unanswered There's, questions yeah, and not, I hmm.
1: don't think as a candidate yeah I'm not even, I mean I'm not an elected member but as a candidate I don't think I'd be committing anyone to any stance on that but I'm saying if the discussion needs to be had let's have that discussion. Mm -hmm. Okay
0: well, look, that's all we have time for today. Sarah Richards, Liberal candidate for Macquarie. Thank you very much for coming in and speaking with us today. No problem. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. Back to pre-poll.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that just that must be exciting. Yeah. yeah. Have
1: you noticed that there have been a lot of people pre-polling?
0: Yes. Um, so um,
1: we were told that up to forty-seven percent of the country could possibly pre- could possibly pre-poll wow. this time round. Mm. Um, we are. We've. This is our third week of pre-polling so far. Obviously, with the election Saturday, it was a significant long pre-poll with three Mm. weeks Um, but yeah we've had a lot of people through the doors getting their vote done early if they're not able to make it on the day so I think pre-poll this time is going to play a significant part um, in the overall result for many seats well thanks very much for coming in and chatting with us while you're so busy thank you Uh,
0: Finn thank you again for your youthful input
2: always always good to
0: have such a young fella in, in the room Folks, don't forget to vote on Saturday. Polls are open from 8am to 6pm and for a full list of polling places you can actually head to www.aec.gov.au and click on Where Can I Vote? I'm Christina Pollard. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.